Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin there in verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21, the Bible says, this is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said of those to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You see, Jesus is teaching something that's very clear, and it's that anger destroys relationships, but reconciliation brings peace. And Jesus' teaching on anger is something that if we're being honest, hits every single one of us somewhere in our lives. It's the people that say, I have No problem with anger. What you may think when you're saying that is that I'm able to suppress, right? Manage my anger so that it doesn't manifest itself in hurting people and destroying property. That's usually what we think when we say we don't have any type of an anger problem. Reminds me of uh, something I read on, on the internet. Several years ago, it was actually June 10th in 2010. It was a circus show in the country of Ukraine. And they had a lion there. Now, this lion was trained. How many of you would be comfortable being near to, being like not separated by a wall or something, to a trained lion? Can I see your hand? Nobody? No, come on, let's do it again. Seriously, if you would be okay with that train lion. All right, a few, a few more. Like, as long as he's trained. Well, something went terribly wrong. This lion's name was Perseus. Like gladiator Roman type of name. This lion named Perseus turned on the trainer and began to maul the trainer at the circus. The news reports that, quote, there were many children in the audience. The children were the first to start panicking when the lion attacked the trainer. Many people started screaming. They started running around in panic. It was crazy, quoted one of the eyewitnesses. Now, we look at at Steve Irwin, who actually died from getting too close to a dangerous animal. We look at animal trainers and we look at the people who go and and, and they open the the, the jaws of the, the crocodile or the alligator and they put their head inside. Have you seen that on TV? And then they pull their head right out and those jaws just smack down and everybody cheers. That's like, that was awesome. You almost died. We're sick. Right? 
We're like, as long as it's you're the one in danger, I'm okay with that. And here's the thing. When we think about training wild animals, even the best trained lion in the world is still in his heart a what? A lion. It doesn't matter how much training you do, still at at heart, the lion is wild. And what Jesus is getting to here, and this will be a two-part message, today will be the really hard stuff, all right? We're going to go through what Jesus teaches about anger. Then next week, we're going to really hone in on reconciliation. If you've had a relationship in your life that has been shattered and fractured by anger, whether it's your anger that's done it, or whether it's their anger that has caused the earthquake, or whether it's a combination... We're going to look at what Jesus teaches here in the latter few verses of what we read about how you reconcile those relationships. Because we have so many people walking around America and the world today, and deep inside their heart, things are not well. Do you remember that old song, It is well with my soul? Here's a question. Is it well with your soul this morning? Is, the, is there that, that, that fomenting, that, that steadily producing anger? It seems like you can put a cap on it sometimes. It seems that you've tried behavior modification. It seems that you, you've tried to train that lion, but somehow he gets out and begins destroying things. You see, Jesus is getting us to understand that anger on any level destroys relationships, but reconciliation brings peace. And the week after next, we're going to look at lust. Paige Patterson, a great Christian author and speaker, he said that there are often when you have anger, lust is nearby. And when there is lust that is seems like it is overcoming our lives, then anger is also nearby. And probably already... Since we've gone into the issue of anger, some of you are thinking about the person that you're angry at. Here's a question I'd like to pose to you. If you could, if you could harm that person, do what you think needs done to them to let them have that old school payback. I'll meet you in the schoolyard after the bell rings. Payback. And this is a crazy thought, but if you could do it and no one else would find out. And imagine this, if this is a crazy thought, but go with me. If you could do it, if you could exact your revenge, your retribution against this person that you're angry at, and no one else would know it. And not only that, God wouldn't know it. What would you do? Let that sink in for just a moment. Imagine if it were possible, which we know it's not, but just imagine if God, no one else would ever know what you did. In other words, if you had a do what you want free card, what would you do? And if we really think about that, if we could truly, civilly, with the law, with the government, even with God, if we could actually get away with giving that person their due, some of us would have to be honest and say, my heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. Can I get an amen there? Can we be honest? 
You see, Jesus starts this teaching on anger and he does it in a very interesting way. If you look back at verse 21 here, he gives us several angles of, of anger, so to speak. And Jesus begins with saying, look, you have heard that it was said to those of old. In other words, this is Old Testament knowledge that you shall not murder. And if you murder, you will be in danger of the judgment. Now, in the Bible, there are two exceptions to killing. All right. Number one would be uh, capital punishment. And that's actually Jesus died. It was him dying, taking the death penalty for us. Right. Now, regardless of where you fall on that issue, the Bible does permit under the Old Testament law specifically for a person's life to be taken by the government if they commit a crime worthy of death. And it's very interesting when you look at the Old Testament. A lot of people today knock it. They say that it's immoral, that it's outdated. Do you know the Old Testament? You had to have eyewitnesses to actually have a person suffer the death penalty. Today in our American justice system, we make an evidential case. Where were you on the night of? Now, the person may be innocent, but if you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt, so to speak, you can have a person suffer the death penalty. But in the Old Testament, it had to be basically video evidence seen by the community, testified by the community and carried out by the community. Not only is there the exception in the Old Testament, Jesus believed in the Old Testament of capital punishment, but also self-defense or a just war. But outside of that, the rule stands that there is no killing. We remember what happened with Cain and Abel, right? They both came to God. They're giving their sacrifices to God. And Cain brings his. And Abel brings his. You've got the sibling rivalry there, so to speak. And God accepts Abel's sacrifice, not because of what it was, but because it was given in faith. We know what happened. Cain began to allow jealousy to overwhelm his heart. And he grew. There was a root of bitterness, a root of resentment that began to grow towards his brother, Abel. And then the Bible tells us the first murder that ever happened, he walked Abel out into a field. It doesn't say what he killed him with, but it says he slew his brother, Abel. The first time. And if you're taking notes in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the Bible says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then it speaks that the earth was filled with violence. You see, God is not okay with murder, right? We're like, well, Jeff, I think we pretty well have that one down. I didn't even have to go to Sunday school to get like I was raised in a non-Christian, non-church going family. And mom and dad, they're like, honey, it would be really great for the family if you wouldn't kill people. All right. If you could just not, you know, like, like that's not anything that you need to prove. That's just a properly basic belief that it's wrong to outside of self-defense, outside of a police officer, a soldier doing his or her duty outside of an evidenced, verified case of capital punishment. You, you don't just go out and kill people because they cut you off in traffic, right? We know that. But Jesus begins to take this issue much further. 
Now, if you've ever heard people say, you know what, Jeff, or they don't, if they call you Jeff, that's because your name is Jeff, that they may refer you to by, by your name. And they say, you know what, when I read the Old Testament, I really, I have issues because it seems like the God of the Old Testament is very angry and the God of the New Testament is the God of grace. How many of you have heard something like that? In the Old Testament, the rule is, don't murder. You know what Jesus says? If you're angry in your heart to God, you're a murderer. So which is tougher? A lot of us were like, I can do the no killing thing. Killing is not really something that, you know, I'm like, man, I messed up this past weekend. I'm there with my Sunday school class, with my accountability group. Like, dude, I, I just blew it. Literally, I blew this guy away. My bad. I'm going to try to do it. Like, that's not an issue. But here's the thing. Jesus takes it much further. He says, you know that it's wrong to kill. But I'm telling you that if you are angry in your heart with your brother. Now, here's the question. Who's our brother? Remember they asked Jesus that question and he answered with a parable with the good Samaritan. The Jewish guy is going on this trip. He gets jumped. He gets robbed. He's beaten to an inch of his life. The Samaritan comes along. The people, they didn't get along at all. He's the one who takes care of the beaten up Jewish guy and pays for his medical bills and lodging. And then Jesus, after that story, he says, who's the neighbor? Here's the point. We are all brothers We are all created in the image of God. We are all God's creation, right? Jesus is not giving an an outlet, a loophole like some laws may give. That's just the nature of law. But Jesus is saying, if you are angry in your heart, then you're in danger of judgment. If you're taking notes, which I hope that you do, I'm just going to give you a number of references in the Bible. And here's the reason why I'm going to read through these scriptures. Because in America today, we, we enjoy seeing other people get angry, don't we? Anger is not that big of a deal. We say as long as you don't act out of anger and hurt people or property, then it's okay. But I want to just take a moment to look into the Bible to see what God's word says about anger. Proverbs eleven twelve. the Bible says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. That means that if you have a spirit of anger, then the Bible says that you're a fool. Proverbs 12, 16, the anger of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 27, 3, a stone is heavy. Check this out. And sand is weighty, but a fool's anger is heavier than both. Amen. Colossians 3, 8. But now you must put them all away. And here he gives the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Whichever man says that, I can't do anything for you, brother. Let's just hope she didn't hear it. 
But it's, it, and by the way, this is just a point here. Ladies, the Bible says, this is not Jeff, this is not Fred. The Bible says, Proverbs 21, 19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. You see in the book of Proverbs, ladies, that incredible potential of a woman of God who even through her husband's fallings and through his shortcomings, she is there to point him to Jesus. And you see the massive power of devastation by a woman who is governed by her flesh as well. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty for if you deliver him, you will have to do it again. Do you know somebody like that? Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken down and left without walls. Let me give you a translation of that. If you have the spirit of anger, if you are a hot head, if you have a short fuse, if you blow up and go off at people, the Bible says that you are in slavery to other people and to your environment because every time something frustrating happens, you have no walls of defense in your life. You are easily overrun. You are easily controlled by situations. When the power of God comes in, he makes us be able to put in any situation and remain glorifying God. Proverbs 15.1, and this is a great verse every single one of us needs to memorize. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Listen, when that person comes at you and they are huffing and they are puffing and they are just losing it on you, the Bible says if you want to bring that up a notch, answer them in anger. If you want to take it to the next level of screaming and physical altercation, you give them exactly what they gave you. But if through the power, the sweet, beautiful power of Jesus Christ, you can give a soft answer. It will give glory to God. Psalm 37, 8, the Bible says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. In other words, stress not yourself because it tends only to evil. You see, God's word is very, very, very clear about anger. And once again, if we're being honest We will say, number one, I struggle with anger. Now, there may be some of us that let it out quicker. There may be some that try to control and suppress the tiger. But secondly, we have to understand, and I think we all do here, that anger destroys relationships, but reconciliation brings peace. Think of King Saul in the Old Testament. He was the quintessential example of a dude who was unstable. Do you remember the time? Imagine if... Jonathan, if you were his prized son, you were Jonathan, the great warrior, and you were pleading for your friend, David. You see, God blessed David. David came onto the scene. Saul was insecure. Have you ever been around someone who's so insecure they can never say good job to anybody else? It doesn't matter if somebody else is being blessed, if they're doing well in business, if their family's doing well. This person, because they're not rooted in Christ, has to cut the other person down. Saul actually grabbed a spear and tried to pin his own son to the wall. We know in the life of Moses. I mean, would you say that Moses was a man of God? Yes. But what was the thing that kept Moses from actually going into the promised land? It was his anger. We think about Jonah. He was there after God had given mercy to Nineveh. He wanted God to kind of nuke the city. And then God caused this plant to grow. And then the plant died. And Jonah became angry at his shade going away as opposed to the possible 
destruction of a city. And God says, you're angry at the plant, but why are you not concerned about these 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left? If you keep up with movies at all, we can use examples from there, how anger has destroyed relationships. Mel Gibson, incredible actor, right? I mean, whether you're a Mel Gibson fan or not, the man knows how to make movies. He knows how to act. But anger has destroyed so much. Charlie Sheen, John Travolta. We hear these tapes. We see these results. But here's the thing. Sometimes we can look at those people in Hollywood and say, boy, they're crazy out in Hollywood, right? Especially if you're, if you've been in church for some time and you say, boy, all those crazies out there. Here's the thing. All of us wrestle with anger to some degree. It was when I was a youth minister in South Carolina. Um, we had a lot of rough kids who came to the church. Most of the children came uh, from, from very, very, very rough homes. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. And there was this one young man. He had been held back. He was 19. He was a senior. Very well built. Very well built. He was in boxing. And there had been a time right before I came to where they, the church had this large gym. He got upset at this one student and walked over. And as the kid turned around, just dropped him. I mean, he, he was a left-handed guy just from, from left field, just bang. Busted him all up. Blood was everywhere. I mean, the kid was very, very hurt. There was this Wednesday night after everything was finished and a lot of the students were out there in the parking lot. And a girl said something that this guy didn't like. This guy had uncontrollable anger. All of the volunteers knew it. We tried to keep a watch on it. And this girl said something. The girl was maybe about 15 feet away or so. And he was here and he took off for her. And in a split second, I was about four or five feet away from him. I said, he's going to hurt that girl. So I jumped and I stood in front of him. I said, and I, I said his name and I said, calm down. It's no, no worries. I said, let's go over here and talk. But he wouldn't do it. And then he pushed me away. And then he lunged at this girl And I said, it was one of those quick moments in ministry that seminary doesn't prepare you for. I said, I have two choices, I guess three. I could let him physically hurt this girl. That's not an option. All right. And just a note here, if anything like this happens on the campus of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, the men of God are qualified by the power of the Holy Spirit to put a rear naked choke on any man who's going to try to hurt a lady. Amen. All right. And I don't know how that does for our lawsuits there, but, you know, we're just going to put it out there. But I said, I can I can start a fist fight, but I can't. I mean, he's a student and I'd probably lose anyway. So the only thing I knew how to do is I just came behind and got him in a in a hold and he flipped me over. But I still hung on and we were rolling down there on the cement. I mean, we were flipping and flopping and we had on shorts and we were getting cut and bloodied. And I was hanging on to him. And all I did, there were some of the big sponsors. I said, the guy's name was boy. I said, boy, help. And, you know, you know, I, here's here's the thing. There's always people who talk, right? There's always that guy like, yeah, you know, I've got like four black belts, you know, you know like Barney Fife. I've been studying karate by mail for years. And there was this one guy there and he comes over and I'm hoping because I'm not one to hurt this kid, but I, I, he was going absolutely ape crazy. All right. Crazy. He was gone. And I was hoping they would come over and, it, you know, all he did, he came over, he was shaking like this. Mr. Ake, you know, and he just puts his hand on my back and I'm like, I don't need a Pentecostal healing right now. I need some help restraining this brother. Amen. Come on. Then a couple of the bigger guys came over and they were able to help me restrain this young man. And we stayed there late talking. But that's just an example. One of the many 
the sad and calculable examples of how anger destroys relationships. And notice what Jesus says there in verse 22. He's very, very clear. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. But whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What Jesus is getting at here, he's not saying that anger necessarily leads to murder, although it does. Jesus is saying this is why the New Testament is much more stringent, much more difficult than the old. Jesus says that anger to God is murder of the heart. He's saying that if you slander people, you will be held accountable through the civil law. And then if you go further to say to his brother, Raka, which was a term there in the Aramaic language of saying you have an empty head. Think true textbook mental abuse. I'm just going to say something for you parents and you grandparents. You have such an amazing potential. God has given you a precious life. And as much as you can, you pour into that child. You tell them the great things that you believe they can do. Come on, y'all with me now? Come on. Because here's the thing. There's a million people out there that will tell your family you're no good. You know what some people do? They begin to believe it. You have men and women who are so beaten down by the lion of someone else's anger that they feel that they cannot do anything of worth. Where the power of God comes in and says, you know what, I don't care what people have called you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I have redeemed you. I have bought you. I have transformed you. I am continually changing you. And there is nothing that you can ever face through my power that you cannot overcome. That's God's word. So let's just take a small moment for those of you that have children in your life to not make those comments. To not to not let your love language be sarcasm. Because there's so much in this world that beats them down already. Let it be that you are the one who speaks life. But you see, in order to be able to speak life into your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren, you've got to have life. You've got to be genuinely saved. You have to come to the point where you say, you know what, I'm okay with my kids being quote unquote more than I have been because I love them. And because God has put his love in my heart, I can't hold it in. I want to let it spill out. I want to get involved in the children's ministry. Listen, listen, when I prayed earlier, it was not just a filler. When we do that, come to, I was going to say come to Jesus meeting. That's another type of meeting, right? We're talking about anger. When we have the happy birthday Jesus party. Listen, when you are involved in the life of a precious child, they remember things. We remember things, don't we? And there is no telling what investment you can have. If you want to support the children's ministry financially, if you want to be involved, if you just want to pray for it, may God bless you. Because the world wants to come to your children and your family and say, Raka. You're an empty-headed fool. And Jesus says, when you take that step, and it's not in the Mr. T sense, and I'm not trying to be funny, but in the context here, when Jesus uses the word fool, what most Bible commentators have come to believe is that it's not just assessing a person's mental ability, but it is going in to assassinate their character. 
Just say, I know what's inside of you, and I know there's nothing good. You will not amount to anything because you are a failure. This has shown that you're a failure. And do you remember what you did last year? That is also evidence that you're a failure. I don't care if you start going to church. I don't care if you start getting involved there. Don't you remember what you've done? Don't you remember who you are? And I'll tell you one thing. That is not the voice of God. That is the voice of the enemy. And to all of that, we say, if it's true, yes, yes, I have failed. I have been a disaster in certain ways, but it was never all about me. I come to Jesus and I bring my disasters. I bring the lion of my own anger. I bring the fact that my life has been mauled by the lions of other people's anger. And I'm bringing it to the feet of Jesus saying, God, here I am. I'm a broken vessel. And Jesus can do something beautiful with a life like that. But what may hold some people back, they say, Jeff, man, this is so, this is so hardcore. When Jesus begins to say that you'll be liable to the hell of fire, what is Jesus talking about? Well, on that day in Jerusalem, you could come to an area and it was called Gehenna. It was an area like a garbage dump, like a landfill, and it had fires that would burn nonstop. The bodies of criminals, all of the trash would be thrown down there. It was a picture of hell. Because Jesus is saying, please listen to me, that it's not so much your words, but it's your heart that gives fire and gives production to your words. See, now Jeff, I've I've tried to deal with my anger. Well, there are three ways that we can deal with it. This is not in your notes, but you can write them down if you wish. Number one, we can explain it away. We can distract from our lion. We can say, it's not that big of a deal. Here's all the good things that I do. But Jesus is saying, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about your heart. Don't try to explain it away. Secondly, we'll try to stuff it down. We will try to suppress it. We will try to deal with it. We will try to, as I've talked to so many young guys, they say, Jeff, the reason why I want to get into this physical activity, whether it's fighting or whether it's working out, running long distance, is a way to channel my anger. Those things can be good physically. They can be good mentally. But Jesus says that I can change your heart. Let me give you a text. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. This is Jesus. He says, but what comes from the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person for out of the heart. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. For these are what defile a person. It's the heart. Jesus is saying, don't try to explain it away. Don't try to suppress it and hold it down. Don't try to stuff it. And some people say, well, Jeff, what I need to do is just express myself. When I feel it, this is the way that you can find a person who has definite pride in their life. They say, whatever I think, I'm going to let people know. I mean, who cares what Jeff thinks at the end of the day? If we're friends, that's great. We know each other, that's awesome. But what matters is what Jesus says. Amen? And every scholar, C.S. Lewis, whoever it is that we quote from this pulpit to illustrate the Bible, we're not quoting those people saying, you see what C.S. Lewis said? That's awesome. You see what Paige Patterson said? We should do that. No, they are to illustrate the fact that Jesus' words are the only ones that can change. And it's Jesus' words that's our authority. 
You see, when you, when you explain it away, the lion's still there. When you stuff it down, the lion destroys what's inside. When you just let it loose, the lion destroys everything that's on the outside. Jesus is very, very clear. There's an article by David Kupelain. I'm just going to read to you a couple of snippets here. And the title of the article is this, quote, Americans snapping by the millions, unquote. And he gives several statistics here. He says that fully one third of the nation's employees suffer chronic debilitating stress. Then he goes down to the children He says, incredibly, 11% of all Americans aged 12 and older are currently taking SSRI antidepressants. They're very mood-altering. They're very controversial as well. And let me just say here, we're not saying that medication is wrong. Some people need to be medicated. And if you have a problem with that, then you need to understand that we are flesh and blood along with spirit. All right? But 11% are taking these. And then add that to the tens of millions of users of all other types of psychiatric drugs. There's 6.4 million American children between 4 and 17 that are diagnosed with these issues. And then this is very, very frightening. 40% of Europeans are plagued by some type of this mental illness. Listen, it's not that the good old days were good old days. We've always been a race of sinful fallen people from when Adam and Eve sinned. If we as Christians are trying to restore something that was in the past, some some civil type of um, Mayberry, that may be a better place to live, but God has called us to come into a hurting world with hurting people who have issues. And the people that have the greatest issues, if we could just be honest, are sometimes when we say, that's not me. You ever done this? I wish so-and-so had been here to hear this. I get that. But maybe it's time that we look deep inside our hearts and ask ourselves, this is where we bring it to close, several questions. Number one, are you an agent of reconciliation or oppression? Do your words and your actions through the power of Christ in your home lead to reconciliation of people who are arguing or do you try to take sides and create more or to get the children or get the spouse to come to your side secondly do our words give life or do our words cut down and third what is the state of your heart you see now jeff you told us about the lion thing about how we're not supposed to suppress it how we're not supposed to just let it out and how we're not supposed to explain it away what is what does the bible say the way of Dealing with anger, the the beginning to the road of anger resolution is repentance before God. Not making excuses for it, all right? Coming to Him, admitting that. And then, here's the most difficult part. And I have had to do this more times than some of you would possibly imagine. Finding the person with which there is the fractured relationship and seeking reconciliation with them. That begins with confessing my sin of anger towards the person that I've been angry with and letting them know that I am willing to do whatever it takes to receive their forgiveness, asking for their forgiveness. It's repentance towards God. No excuses, 
No explanation about environment. Yes, environment can affect us. But at the end of the day, it's the heart that makes the difference. Confession towards God and reconciliation towards people. And you could not imagine when those things are put together through God's power in your life, the freedom and the weight that is lifted from your shoulders. How you look back and say, how did I go on all that time with all of that bitterness and guilt and resentment? It's through the power of Jesus Christ that can change the heart. And when the heart changes, then the actions change. But not the other way around. Brokenness before God and humility.